0: Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, will I lose all of my money in this market? What should I do with my stimulus check? What do you think of Boeing stock? Why is it important to pay attention to what type of investment account I use to invest money? What are ETFs? Why do you hate annuities? With the answers, here's Philip.
1: All right, another episode in the home studio today. But nevertheless, bringing another weekly episode. This has been another eventful week in the markets, in business, just in life. The positive is spending a lot of time with the family, getting to know my boys, getting to teach them. Um, I got two young boys, so it was fun. I'm definitely doing push-ups and getting Mm -hmm. swoller. so that's another positive. Got a lot, lot of good questions this week. It seems like Every week, I'm getting more and more questions, and so keep them coming. Feel free, if you got any questions, to just shoot me an email at philip, just two L's, philip at com. First question.
0: Will I lose all of my money in this market? Hey, anything is possible, but it's not probable.
1: So let's get into what stocks actually are. Stocks are businesses and businesses have been around since the beginning of mankind businesses are how we serve society that's how we get the goods and services that people need in society to get things the earliest stock market that has a really good record and was relatively liquid was amsterdam and that was like four or five hundred years ago something like that and it's still around there was earlier ones, of course, but you know, you Google oldest stock market in history. That's that's what pulls up and is still around. So, stocks are something that's like abstract. People say, "Oh, stocks is just a piece of paper." I'm like, listen, not every company is going to survive, but I don't ever recommend you investing your money in one or two companies. Any competent person who's given somebody thoughts advice, not and it's not always advice, just education on how to invest your money. Talks about diversification, spreading your money out. If you own hundreds or thousands of stocks that are doing business all around the world, then in order for your money to be lost in this market, everything has to go to zero. And if everything goes to zero, which in the history of mankind, that has not happened. But if everything goes to zero in that portfolio, that means the world started over. And at that point, and I say this a lot, only thing that's valuable to you is how many weapons you have and if you can grow your own food. So the short answer or the long answer is based on history, you won't. But hey, technically like anything's possible. I, it just would be a not wise thing to bet it against humanity and bet against history and be pessimistic. I'm optimistic on humans. As much as as, as many of the stupid things that we do. Uh, As a human race, we have continued to get better. The productivity curve, which is how smart we are, technology has continued to get better throughout history and will continue to get better throughout history until we wiped off the face of the earth, whenever that happens. I don't think it's going to be for a long time. Next question. What should I do with my stimulus check? So we all have read about getting stimulus checks. If you're a subscriber to my newsletter because you – downloaded my book on my website retirement investing 101 you get a free PDF copy but if you're a subscriber to my newsletter you saw the you see I'm sending out information about that weekly as the information changes but so get the details there or just google it yourself but if you qualify you're getting a stimulus check and so what should you do with the stimulus check? I'm really practical when it comes to money you didn't plan for. And so my wife and I had the conversation and we said, hey, here's our financial plan that we adjusted and updated for 2020. And so we know the track and the strategy for, you know, our one year, five year, 10 year and retirement goals. And so that's on track, but this is extra money that that we didn't plan for. And as a rule, what we do is we say, hey, let's take, 20% of that, and let's splurge on it. Let's give ourselves the okay to spend some of it. And so we agreed to do that. And the other 80%, we're putting it into our plan towards our financial goals, right? In proportion to what we decided. So, you know, we, we got money going towards investing for the long term, money going to pay off these college loans. And so we split it up based on the plan. I would recommend that if you don't have a financial plan, get one. And have a system like that set up for when you get new money, it's really to make the decision because you've already decided, hey, on new money, this is what we do with it, right? If it's $5 or $5,000 or $5 million, your plan dictates where the money goes. And I think when you're building it, I would consider just things that are real simple. So for example, if you still have student loans or whatever to pay off and you have to invest for retirement, right, just split it up 50-50. If you still need to build an emergency fund as well, then maybe do a third, third, and third. I wouldn't overthink it. I would just have a system set up in place that's helping you to build your balance sheet and be consistent with it. And if you're married, talk through it with you and your partner. But having a system is amazing because then you don't have to – nobody's telling somebody what they should do with the money. It's, hey, here's, here's our system. Here's our plan. Through both the government system and then as the money comes in just follow the system
0: simple next question philip what do you think of boeing stock they're a the central company they're not going
1: away it's a good opportunity i've been asked this question almost every day this week some days multiple days in the week and so i thought i'd bring it into the conversation because I know if if I'm getting it asked, a lot lot of folks are are thinking about it. And let me just give you a trick that I use when you want to make an investment decision and you don't have a lot of technical knowledge about the industry and the economic environment and when airlines do well and all that kind of stuff. As a rule of thumb, you want to say, all right, why am I considering this investment? Am I considering it for a short-term hit or as a long term investment. Or said better, am I thinking about this like a gambler or like the casino owner? As most of you know, Vegas is built upon people's hopes and dreams of taking a little bit of money, and making a lot. I call it the lotto ticket mentality. It's in every single human being. We want to do a little and get a lot. It is the quickest way to become poor, is how states raise taxes through lotteries and typically that's on the back of people that have a poor mindset and so it's predatory but it's predatory if you don't have the wealth mindset people that have a poor mindset tend to look for shortcuts short in general right and I'm not talking about people that don't have money because unforeseen circumstances I'm talking about people that have the opportunity to have some money but they spend it all chasing short-term things. They only focus on the now. And so the Boeing question, if people are honest with themselves, they're thinking on the short-term, they're thinking with the lotto ticket mentality. What they're basically saying is, Philip, I got some money and I want to make some quick money. And I've got a lot of them to admit it. I want to make some quick money. I know that the government's giving Boeing this money and I know they're essential so that means they're gonna pop back here in the short period of time. And I'm like, I could make a quick buck and take that money and put it in my long-term bucket. And I'm like, listen, it does not work out that way. What you're suffering from is what we, professional money managers call fool's gold. Fool's gold is, it stems from disease I call, I call it, call the fear of missing out. And so a lot of investors were not invested aggressively 2009, 2010, 2011, 12, 13, where the market made a whole lot of money and didn't get interested until the last few years. And it just wasn't a lot of money made over the last few years in investing. And so now they're like, okay, I want to make up for that time lost. And so I need to make a lot of short-term money. And they look for lotto tickets again, going back to the lotto ticket thing. So Fool's Gold plays out a lot of different ways. I'm gonna give you a couple of examples of Fool's Gold in history. In 2000, Tech stocks actually fell from 2000 to 2002, right? That bear market crash went on for two years. How does it go on for two years? Because people that missed the tech boom um, and all the money that was made kept trying to buy as those stocks were going down. And it took people two years to realize that they were wrong and tap out. Same thing happened in Bitcoin. It took Bitcoin a couple of years to bottom out 85, 90% because people who missed it kept going back in. I don't know if you remember oil and gas stocks So oil and gas stocks had a really big boom that ended in 2014, 15. And, you know, Exxon who is who I would, you know, if if you, if you said, what's more important energy security for the U S or the airline industry, everybody would say, yeah, energy security. Like that's what we're about. So Exxon back in 2014 hit his high of something like $104 a share or something like that. The one I looked at yesterday, when I looked at Exxon, it's about at 40. And so it, since then, has not broken its high in 2014. And it's an essential company. So let me explain the difference between a good investment and a good company or a company that's not going away. Boeing is not going away. So the hypothesis is right. I believe it's right. But that means it's a good investment. It doesn't mean it's going to come back or break its high anytime soon, they can get money and still have a low stock price for a long time. And in most cases, when something's been identified as fool's gold, which this is, I gave you the examples, um, that's very likely the case, especially when I hear a bunch of people that are, are not professional investors asking about the same stock that happened with Bitcoin, again, tech stocks, home flipping, and 0506. So stay away from fool's gold. Don't think short term. Use that simple algorithm, mind algorithm, and say, am I thinking about this as a short term investment or a long term investment? And if you're, if you're honest with yourself and you're looking for a lotto ticket, then I would just stay away because that does not work. Just like the odds in Vegas are, you're not going to win. That's the case. Again, sure you can win a jackpot, but you keep playing in Vegas over and over again, you're not going to win. There are no billionaire <laughs> uh, Vegas. Gamblers, there are billionaire casino owners. Be a casino owner, be long-term, make a little bit of money over a long period of time, and things work out.
0: Next question. Why is it important to pay attention to what type of investment account I use to invest money?
1: This is actually a really good question. So whenever I'm preaching my value to clients, it's not the investments. You can buy really good, low-cost, index funds or ETFs that have an investment strategy that might be aggressive, conservative. So it's a portfolio strategy uh, versus just you trying to rely on picking funds. That's really, really good that you can get for really low cost. My value to my clients is A, the financial planning answering this question, which I'm going to answer, and B, being like the personal trainer to keep them on track with their plan and give them accountability to keep investing every single month, even when they're scared and keep them from making crazy decisions with their money, like investing a a big chunk in Bitcoin or penny stocks or options or Boeing or whatever. The answer to this question, the reason why it's important is when when I build a financial plan, one of the modules that I'll look at or one of the calculations I'll run is, hey, what are the taxes you're going to pay in retirement? And the vast majority of people, when they come to me, they are on track or already have a big chunk of their money that's going to be taxable in retirement 401k. Most people save the majority of their retirement money in a 401k. And a 401k is a, is a good thing, but a 401k, the rule you make in a traditional one is you say, "Hey, I'm going to defer the money I taxes on the money I put in here. So if I put in 10,000 dollars, I get to write that money off. But what people don't realize when you take it out in retirement, right, maybe it's grown. So that's good. And as it, as it grew, you didn't pay taxes on the growth, but when you get ready to take it out, you pay taxes at whatever tax rate uh, you're in then. And so a lot of people say, well, yeah, well, shouldn't I be in a lower tax rate in retirement? Who knows? With this deficit that we have probably not because you got to pay for that. But who knows? My point is, when most of us get to a point to where we are working because we want to, not because we have to, or just not working at all. And we need all the money, you know, all the money matters because we're going to be living on it for 20, 30 years. And if we run out, we run out at 87 and who's going back to work at 87, nobody. And so every dollar counts later. And so when I'm running a plan, I'm like, Hey, let's just do the math. We can run a thousand different random scenarios for what taxes might be, what they're running different assumptions for now and later, and then come up with, all right, here's the best option for saving money in taxes, right? You want to put money in this type of an account based on your specific goals, on your objectives, right? A lot of times it includes using a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k and doing conversions, but we do the math. So we say, hey, if you go this route, here's your taxes. If you go this route, here's your taxes and calculate which route gives you the best likely tax alternative. I ran a plan this week that basically saved the plan just about a million dollars in taxes, a million dollars in taxes in today's dollars throughout the plan by just a couple different tweaks. But we had to do the math and the calculations. And so it's really, really important. A million dollars is meaningful. And that has, that's more material than am I picking the right mutual fund, right? The taxes are a strategy that is really, really meaningful. So that's why taxes are important because where you put your money, whether it's a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k, a traditional 401k, an IRA, or a, just a regular individual taxable account matters. And and how you structure those accounts and how you spend those accounts in retirement will have a big impact on the net taxes you pay in your total plan. Really, really. So it actually starts now when you're saving it. So that's why they're important. Next question. Philip,
0: what are ETFs?
1: ETFs are exchange traded funds. It's a great question. And let me give you the history of investing so you understand a little bit better what, what ETFs are. So maybe, let's say, go back 100 years. If you were an individual investor, really all you can invest in were individual stocks. And so if you did not have a lot of money, you did not have a very diversified portfolio, which means you had a lot of risk. And so that was not a good situation. And so along came mutual funds. And I don't remember when they came along, but they came along you know, early. Before the 70s, but along came mutual funds and they allowed you to basically say, OK, I'm, if I have a little bit of money, I can buy a share or shares in this mutual fund company owned 50, 100, a few hundred individual stocks. And just like if, if you and your friends pulled your money together and you all went out and bought some real estate or businesses or stocks together and you owned you own the stocks or assets in proportion to how much of the company you owned. That's how mutual funds work. The only reason they're in business is just to pool money to buy assets so you can uh, get diversification. And so those were a great way for the individual investor to get diversified and get a portfolio with but not that much money that played out for years. And then in the seventies, a guy named, Jack Bogle, John Bogle, founder of Vanguard Mutual Fund. At this point, I think it's the largest mutual fund company out there. He said, "Hey, I've been noticing something. The index. Let me backtrack. So mutual funds would have a benchmark because people say, well, hey, how do I know how a mutual fund is doing relative to other stocks in the the stock market?' And so they created these benchmarks. That was like where they were already existing, but the Dow Jones or the S and P 500. Those are examples of benchmarks that can give you an idea of what the average stock earned over time using a sample of stocks in the stock market. And so he said, Hey, most of these mutual funds because of the high fees don't beat the benchmarks. So the investors are getting a good product because they're getting a diversified portfolio. But I think we can do better if we can bring down the cost and just track the benchmark. And seventies was around the time where computers were becoming the, the thing and so they were able to to build a system that just bought the stocks of the index, right? So you know, for example, they just bought the 500 stocks that were in the S and P 500 index. And so it didn't require a big research staff that traveled around the world talking to companies. It didn't require an expensive portfolio manager. Um, and so it kept the cost really, really low. And um, that was, it was a fraction of the cost of running a mutual fund. And, um, and so that gave investors a lower cost option that, because the costs were low, gave them a better opportunity to do better with their money. And so over time, it took a while for these things to gain traction, but they started in the 90s getting really, really big because people became aware of the difference in, in return. And so index funds became a thing. Well, also what happened in the 90s was when, whenever you buy a mutual fund or an index fund, if you want to sell your shares in the fund, you have to wait to the end of day close of the market. Some people wanted to be able to sell out of their mutual fund during the daytime and buy another one when people started day trading in the late 90s. And so these things called exchange traded funds or exchange traded index funds came about. And I don't want to nerd you out with how it was created, but the structure is such to where it can trade daily like stocks. So it's an index fund that trades daily like stocks. And so similar cost structure Um, It just trades daily. And so that's an ETF. And so an ETF, just like mutual funds, they have different types of strategies. They have growth ETFs. You have ETFs that you can invest in emerging markets. They have tons and tons of strategies, but you can build a portfolio with ETFs to get the diversification you need. And they have different strategies if you want to look at different strategies um, that are available um, to you. The other level that's I don't want to say a bit beyond ETFs, but that's becoming more prevalent. Are custom portfolios because what what ended up happening whenever there's complexity, right? So there used to only be a couple of index funds and in ETFs. Now there are thousands out there, and it added complexity. What individual investors really want are custom portfolios. And they say, "Hey, here are my goals." And I just need a portfolio of ETFs and stocks or ETFs only. Whatever it is, I need a portfolio that can help me reach my financial goals. And so you have wealth management companies like my company, Stonehill Wealth Management, that have our own custom portfolios that manage strategies for clients. And the custom portfolio might be, for example, Stonehill Wealth Management Aggressive Portfolio or Stonehill Wealth Management Moderate Portfolio Portfolio or Stonehill Wealth Management Moderately Aggressive Portfolio. In those portfolios, it might be a portfolio of Vanguard ETFs or, and maybe some stocks or some iShare BlackRock ETFs. So we're using ETFs, and some companies use mutual funds or index funds, but you're building a portfolio for clients that you custom for their plan and their financial goals, and since it's custom and for the client, And the client can have it inside of their own investment account. So the client will have their own investment account. And the strategies, the custom portfolios for the wealth management company can be on the platform that the client is using for their investment accounts. And so it's a really unique way to build a portfolio. And it can be custom because it's a part about mutual funds and ETFs. You can't customize it. You know, The ETFs or the mutual funds comes with the stocks that the portfolio managers put in it. If you have custom portfolio, your wealth management company can add in different things that they or you might want as a part of your portfolio. So that's a little extra that was not asked, but I thought it was important to know because whenever I'm explaining it, that's the newer thing, right? ETS has been around for a while. Now you see a lot of people looking for custom portfolios because that's really what they want as complexity increases next question
0: philip why do you hate annuities
1: oh this is a good one this is a question that i get asked a lot especially when i'm talking to clients that are we're having a conversation about risk and they're they are naturally for whatever reason believe that things like cash bonds and annuities are what you consider safe and so we go deep right and i don't want to i'm going to have to repeat the safety conversation because some of you may not have heard my response to that. But the thing that you want to be afraid of most over time is the cost of living rising faster than your money. So things like cash, bonds, fixed annuities, those things historically are a terrible way to keep pace with the cost of inflation. And there's some annuities that say they can do that because they have an extra rider, but they're relatively expensive. And when when you do the math, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. To add those riders. But let me get into the annuity for a second and why I specifically dislike it. And And I'll preface it with, there are narrow niche, 0.1% of 1% times where it may make sense if it's sold or if it's bought from um, a company that doesn't have all these bells and whistles on them. And typically those aren't sold because they don't pay a, a high commission. Um, so I'm speaking to the ones that are sold and pushed heavy because they come with a very high commission for a couple of different reasons. The first reason why I don't like annuities is because it's a product for somebody who doesn't have a financial plan. If you build a financial plan and you you and your advisor over time stick to your financial plan, you don't need an annuity. And the downside of the annuity given to the insurance company and not having a financial plan is you give away your legacy money. I always talk about when, when you build wealth, You're building a tree, for example, that's going to provide fruit for generations. When you buy an annuity, you uproot that tree. You give it to the insurance company and you say, hey, you go ahead and send us some fruit and cans for the rest of our life. And you may have a beneficiary on there. So you may say, hey, look, I'll take less fruit so that when I die, my spouse or whatever can have some fruit until they die. But then you keep the tree. I don't like that. That's the fundamental reason why I don't like annuities is if you spend a lifetime building something that's generating fruit, don't give it to the insurance company. And it's not about saying, oh, I don't want to make my kids rich. It's not about making your family rich. It's about saying like, this is yours. Like you built this from this. You can educate grandchildren, make sure that they don't get left behind in society. You could make sure that they have health care If things change, it's a lot of things that can be imposed on people to move families backwards, it, it happens a lot. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that move families back, and having access to money for future generations can help move that family forward. So, an annuity gives up legacy. The other thing that people say is, you know, the annuity salespeople they typically sell a whole lot of annuities when the market is doing this deal because they're like, well, you know, um, the stock market could take all of your money. And listen to a previous episode; I already talked about the fact that markets have been around forever. There has not been a period to date on history where the global stocks all around the world went down to zero. If that happens, I promise you insurance companies are not here anymore. They're going to, they also invest in markets. And so when they tell you about, oh, what happens if the markets all go down, the insurance companies are going to go away. Insurance companies, think about it, when they're giving you these guarantees, the guarantee is only as good as their word. There's been insurance companies that are going out of business. As a matter of fact, an annuity is just a pension plan. If you Google failed pension plans, you're going to pull up Google pages of Google pages of failed pension plans. So trust me on this. And as a matter of fact, you don't have to trust me on this. Just research this yourself. If your worst fears come true, like the annuity salesperson who gets a high commission to sell you this stuff says it comes true, they're not going to be able to follow through on their guarantee. Go look it up. Just look at failed pension plans. An annuity, It's basically a pension plan that pays guaranteed income that you create on your own. And so if the worst case thing happens, they can't promise it as well. So don't fall for the fear. So I guess that's really it. I mean, I I gave you really two good reasons why I hate them. You give up your legacy. And if the worst case scenario happens, that promise is not going to follow through. But let me give you a third one, right? Let me give you a third one because I think, and I can go, I can do 10, but I don't want to overdo it. The third reason why I hate annuities are because the people that sell them just basically just lie. I mean, flat out lie. They say things like, well, hey, in this annuity, you can get stock market returns without stock market risk. Listen, only person recorded in history that was able to turn water into wine was a Nazarene 2,000 years ago. The rest of us can't do that. So insurance companies, they invest in mostly safe things. Like it's a mandate because they have guarantees the government limits what they can invest in. A lot of government bonds. Europe government bonds are basically paying zero. Japanese government bonds are basically paying zero. The U.S. government bonds are less than 1%. So you look out and say, okay, what are they buying? Right? They're buying long-term bonds. If they're promising to pay you 4%, 5% on your money for the rest of your life, where are they getting the return from? Like That math does not add up. Over time, when interest rates fall, we're, we're, when we're in a period of time where interest rates around the world are falling and they've been falling for decades now, Japan started it and then the US and Europe uh, followed it, that crushes insurance companies. It crushes them. It's, it's why if you, if you ever bought an annuity, or some, if you know somebody who has an annuity, they keep canceling old contracts. As interest rates come down more, they say, oh, we're not going to offer this new product anymore because it locked the current people in at a higher interest rate they can no longer afford. And so you ask yourself, what happens if the worst case scenario happens, like I said, in part two, and the insurance company just can't pay you, right? They, they just can't pay their guaranteed income. They, the promise is only as good as the company. And so whenever they tell you that your annuity can earn stock market return without stock market risk, that's BS. Because behind the math is a company that's investing in long-term government bonds they're not earning much. Most of their money is in bonds. So how do they pay you stock market returns and lose money, right? I mean, where does the money come from? They're taking in money from you. And sure, some people, you know, die early. But to stay competitive, they got to pay a competitive payout rate. And so there's not that many people who are dying early and they're keeping their money. And so you got to ask yourself, like, where does this math come from? And if you really dig in deep, I, I had a client who I sat with. and I looked at her annuity and we looked at it. And the fees that she was paying a year in her annuity was north of three percent a year for the annuity, and that's not even counting the big fat commission that she paid when she bought the annuity from the from the salesperson. The thing that they don't tell you is they can go back and increase fees to cover what they don't earn on the money uh, that they that they say they're crediting you. Meaning, if they say, "Oh, this illustration shows that you earn six percent a year over time." okay, what is it after fees? Because if, you know, if they don't earn it, they're going to jack up the fees and make up the difference so that their net payout is what they actually earned on your money that's being invested conservatively. So you don't have to go too nerdy. You don't have to even understand the investments and what they invest in. Just know that if government bonds are not paying a lot of money and that's what they're investing in, they cannot pay you stock market returns. Like it's not possible. It's made up. It's a product that is sold to people who are afraid and don't have a plan. So that's why I don't like them. And specifically, I don't like the way that they're sold by people who get a high commission. And, and, and I know I'm renting, but if I can tell you all the commission-based salespeople that I know that I talk to behind the scenes and I tell them to quit selling that stuff, I'm like, man, it's like crap. Cause you know, it's not good, but you keep selling it because you got bills to pay for in the short term. I was like, think long-term. Once I educate your clients on what you're selling them, you're going to lose to me. So stop selling it. Because if I meet your client on the street and they have one, I'm going to explain to them what they have. We're going to call the insurance company. I'm going to walk them through the expenses. I'm going to walk them through how the things are credited. I'm going to help them understand that it's not as good as what you think. I'm going to help them understand that you're helping to uproot the tree and take away the fruit for future generations. And you're going to lose. A, they're going to stop trusting you. And B, you're going to feel terrible because you knew better cause I already told you. And so, but just so many can't because they get some commissions are nice and they build a nice lifestyle into it. And again, I'm not saying like every insurance salesperson person is, is bad. You know, some of them are young and don't know, but a lot of them are um, been in the business for a while and they know better and they have zero excuse in my opinion. Let me leave y'all with a good quote. I don't worry about which way the next 20% move in the market will be because I know exactly which way the next 100% move will be. And I can't run the risk of missing that move. That's a lot of wisdom, y'all. That was Nick Murray, I believe, one of my favorite authors and speakers and writers about finance. And it's like, it's basically, hey, don't try to time the bottom. Don't worry about the temporary dips, right? W- worry about, since, since you, if you look at the trend of the S&P 500 and the Dow, it's been up right? And the trend of humanity productivity has been up. And so worry about not missing the next big up move, not another 20, 30% down. Y'all enjoy your day.
0: Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor.